Welcome to episode 77 of Shelf Love, a podcast that unpacks romance novels with nuance. In conversations with scholars, readers, and other experts, Shelf Love contextualizes the popular romance genre within the broader critical discussion of identity, culture, and love. I'm your host, Andrea Martucci, and my guest today is Dame Jody Slaughter, author of novels such as White Whiskey Bargain and All Things Burn. When Jody visited Shelf Love the first time, back in episode 61, she shared her problematic love for alcohols. Today, Jody and I go on a journey to uncover how people discover that they like romance and why it's so hard to even identify that the thing that they love in other media is the romance. It's a story about Twilight, fan fiction, Bridgerton, hashtag diversity, plus countless cans of worms that we do not want to get into, yet nonetheless crank open. Please enjoy part one of our conversation, in which we use Jody's Twilight fanfiction experience as a case study for understanding how many use gateways to find their way into romance. In part two, out next week, we'll dive more into the present day. Will Bridgerton spark romance curiosity in a new generation? And how will Romancelandia handle those newbies' first clumsy steps into our world? Bridgerton. 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 Bridgerton has burst upon the scene. What I'm thinking of is all of the non-romance readers who are watching Bridgerton and saying, I like this. I want to read a book like this. Fledgling romance readers. As I like to call them, romance curious. Jody, we've had a similar phenomenon before when Twilight came on the scene in 2006. We have. Okay, just for reference, I'm wearing a Team Edward shirt right now. I'm in character. But yes, Twilight took the world by storm. And I think out of it sort of grew an entire generation of people who all of a sudden were reading romance. Yeah. But maybe they didn't realize it at first, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Okay, so let's set the scene. In 2006, Jody Slaughter was 11 years old. I was 11 years old. In 2008, young Jody Slaughter became a Twilight fan. Tell me how you got into Twilight and what you loved about it at the age of 13. Okay, I will preface this by saying that when I was 11, I remember seeing a girl she was pale and she had red hair in one of my classes at school and she was reading the twilight with the apple she was reading it for a couple weeks and i was like oh, okay and then i just kept it moving when i was 13 i went to a new middle school and i met this girl and she was like the coolest person i'd ever met and she was like so there are these books and you should read them and she had recently introduced me to all this cool music so i was like i trust your taste yes and so I think she loaned me Twilight and I read it in like a day, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. You had no other responsibilities. You were 13. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't even homework. I don't know. It was eighth grade. Like, I don't, it was so unserious. And I just, yeah, I just devoured them. And then I immediately went to my mom and was like, can you please take me to Borders, which was mm-hmm. my bookstore of choice. And also give me money <laughs> to buy books. <laughs> and 
that's exactly what she did. I bought, I actually bought Twilight, New Moon, and Eclipse. I devoured those as well. And that's how I got into Twilight. It was just like addicting. I think it was the first book that I was always like a good reader, but I wasn't a reader. You were not passionate? Yeah, but I wasn't like going out of my way to read outside of school. And these changed that completely for me. When you were reading them, what do you think it was about these books that were so different from everything else you had read before this point? So it was kids. They were in high school. Mm -hmm. I was in the eighth grade. That was automatically like this cool thing for me. I had read books about younger people, but they were older books. And so it wasn't relatable to me. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have cell phones and they weren't talking about like cultural things that were familiar to you and now granted Bella Swan wasn't like I'm so cool and here's my flip phone and I'm wearing a juicy couture sweatsuit like she wasn't cool but was the lingo a little bit more familiar the the concerns the yeah writing was incredibly accessible I guess you could say sure that's the word we'll use accessible I know what drew me in and it was simply like the romance Mm -hmm. I know that's what it was that's like it and it was also the vampire yeah it was like the paranormal aspect i'd never really been super interested in like paranormal things so let's start with the vampires what about the vampires were so appealing and let me just say i think i'm gonna draw a corollary between the vampires in twilight and the regency setting in bridgerton oh gosh okay it's what wraps around the romance that is sort of fun. Anyways, I don't want to put words okay. in your mouth. What about the vampires in particular? Oh, wow. Okay, so they were immortal. That's that pretty was cool. Very cool. Very cool. But at this point, I had seen an interview with a vampire. And... They were tortured they, immortals in interview with a vampire. Yes. They were so and sad Ed, about it. They hated it. They weren't so destructive, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, in an interview with a vampire, they were, like, incredibly destructive. They were incredibly, like, self-destructive. And this wasn't that necessarily i guess it was like the lore that stephanie meyer created that i found fascinating the sparkling skin was very interesting i was very interested in the concept of a vampire that wasn't killing humans because i'd never thought of or considered that before so it was this like benevolent vampire family Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean so what you're talking about now is the world building yes the world building was so interesting. It, it included things that I had never considered before. The concept of a vampire that didn't have like fangs and a vampire who was, they were actively participating with humans. Mm-hmm. They weren't just like hiding in the shadows. They weren't these like lusty at orgies. So they weren't so like depraved. And, and sorry, I'm not saying orgies are depraved, no. but that's usually how yes. it's portrayed as like, yes. like a depravity. They've lost yes. their humanity. Yes. And they enjoy the trappings of their wealth, right? Like they have this beautiful house. They have nice clothes, cars. Even when they have zero need for it. They wouldn't freeze to death. They don't need to eat. They don't need cars to drive. They can run faster than any car. They don't need a house to live in for shelter. And so that was very intoxicating, the descriptions of their wealth. I think that was a first I'd seen in a a book that interested me as well. The beginnings of that, like, oh, he's rich and that's desirable. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so the world that is built is aesthetically beautiful. It's, It's 
pleasurable because the narrative is positioning wealth as incredibly desirable. And then this is all in the confines of a romance. And there's a reluctant attraction romance between Bella and Edward, right? She's pretty yeah. into him. I mean, yeah. she's like pretty all in. He is, he's just like tortured brooding. If we're, I know we haven't broached this yet, but he doesn't think he has a soul. And so he doesn't think he is deserving or worthy of love i think there are times when he's like i'm not capable of love bella even though i obviously love you like shit like that so i think it's more begrudging on his part Mm -hmm. than it is on hers because she truly doesn't give a fuck even when she learns that he's a vampire she's like okay she's like i'm kind of into it yeah which (laughs) same (laughs) yeah and so i'm thinking about like why this is attractive and so the narrative also though we know that Edward has a soul and that he can love and that he's worth loving because he's yeah. not a bloodthirsty vampire who might kill right. her. Like, we right. we know of course. he's safe. Yeah. Well, yes. And especially when, which is, like, an interesting, if interesting, we mean, like, racist, <laughs> when we compare that to the way Jacob Black is viewed, <laughs> where he is seen as this, oh, he's volatile. He could shift and change at any moment and he could hurt you Bella and so you have this like white man who is to be honest more dangerous than Jacob Black like you know what I mean yeah no he smells her blood and he's like 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 he's gonna bust yeah (laughs) I hate you but yes Jake's like his entire being his entire reason for existing as a wolf is not to kill humans the way that Edwards is and yet somehow Jacob and the rest of his brothers that's what I'll call them are seen as infinitely more somehow dangerous because they're more volatile and they literally burst out of their bodies into a beast but they're more animalistic right they burn hotter physically they are hotter yes they're not like the civilized cold vampires who live in refinement. They live out in the woods. Yes. In log cabins. On, on a reservation. They pull their clothes off and shed their human skin. Yes. You have the story of Sam, who, which is like so disgusting. He is their alpha. Okay. And there was an instance when he was turning and he ended up, Oh, right. Um, Lashing out and scratching the face of his wife. Yes. Yes. And so when we think about domestic violence, domestic assault against like Native women, we think about like very violent, vile tropes of the quote unquote savagery of Native men Mm -hmm. and women, Native Mm -hmm. people rather. It's disgusting in retrospect. As a 13 year old reading, those were not things that I knew and they were not things that I cleaved onto, but what I did cleave on to was the underlying text of is Jacob more dangerous because he is the wolf, because he is somehow more volatile, even though we spend all of these books with Edward and a member of Edward's family actively being like, it's taking everything in me not to murder you and everyone else. So like as a teenager reading this, it's presenting some luxury it's yeah. presenting this love triangle, which shows that the female protagonist, whom many identify with as being really desirable and yes. and having her pick of romantic partners who are 
I don't know. I always thought Jacob was way sexier than Edward. Look, I guess I'm team Jacob here. It did not make sense to me why Bella was like so uninterested in Jacob. So I'm ashamed to be team Edward. I have this shirt like I am, but there is shame there. I'm in eighth grade when my friend introduces me to these books. I'm in ninth grade when the first movie comes out. Mm -hmm. So by the time I started reading these books, the cast had already been announced. And so whom I have in my head when I am reading these books is Taylor Lautner, Mm -hmm. Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, etc. And I was I was just more attracted to Robert Pattinson than I was to Taylor Lautner. And I think that drove it. To be honest, I didn't find Taylor Lautner to be attractive. And also, I wasn't Team Jacob because I knew that it wasn't going to... He, he was not much. positioned as the guy who gets the girl no, yes. in this story. Yes. He always played second fiddle in Bella's... She never was so focused on him the way she was focused on Edward. And so the yes. narrative led you to be Team Edward. Yes. She was never in love with him. She loved him as a friend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was never a true sort of love triangle where you were which I think is hard to find where you genuinely were in, up until the last conflicted yeah well not for me I know that for mm-hmm. some people were but I, I never believed that she was ever gonna not be with Edward <laughs> okay so you're reading Twilight you're really into it and you want more and at this time would you have identified that what you really liked about this story was the romance or would you have identified it more as oh I like YA, I like vampires, I like, what is it that sort of seemed to be the thing? I don't think I would have said what I really like is romance. I started reading more YA Mm -hmm. because I had time, like after I finished Eclipse in between when Breaking Dawn came out, Mm -hmm. there was days, months, years. So I started reading some other YA, but it was mostly all like a paranormal type thing. So I'm thinking I just thought I was into paranormal YA. Mm -hmm. But what I was really drawn to as an adult who doesn't read a ton of paranormal stuff nowadays, I think what I was really drawn to was the romance. But I was a 13 year old and I was like, just sort of like detrimentally horny, (laughs) not really understanding. And I think at a certain point, I got my hands on the Sookie Stackhouse series True Blood because that show came out when I was a freshman in high school as well. That show is so horny. So horny. And what I found in those books was what I realized I was wanting out of Twilight, I think very much. And a lot of that really drew me into fan fiction because once I realized that fan fiction was real horny that how, was... how did you find fan fiction i found fan fiction a couple years before when i was 12 i was really into this band called mcfly and they were this oh god <laughs> i saw them in a Lindsay lohan chris pine movie called just my luck and they played a band that chris pine was representing like he was trying to be like a music manager or whatever and i googled them because i thought that a couple of them were really cute and i found out that they were a real band they were british and they were pretty big in the uk but they never got much success here but i was like obsessed with them they were like my favorite but nobody i knew even knew who they were and so in order to find other people who were interested in them I had to go on the internet and there were these message boards and on these message boards people were talking about McFly but also writing fan fiction Mm -hmm. so that's where I discovered fan fiction now not 
a ton of that fan fiction that I was reading and a couple that I had written were very horny. They were just like, it, I mean, it was romance, essentially. Like going on a date with yes, but guys also, in a band or something. All of them? Just together. one Together. <laughs> I read a lot of shipping the two of them together. That's where I found fan fiction. So you, you found your way onto these platforms then that are dedicated to fan fiction. And then did you realize you could get fan fiction for other things you were interested in too? Yes. It was just that until Twilight, I wasn't really interested in anything else to seek it out. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't a part of any type of fandom. And then I realized how horny it was. Because I'm not saying that the McFly fan fiction wasn't. I, I imagine there was. I just don't think I was reading a ton of mm-hmm. sexy stuff. But after I'd read True Blood, it, it was like sex in a book. Mm-hmm. And it was my first experience with that. And I was like, I, I want Twilight. I want Edward and Bella. But I also want the fucking. The fucking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love the whole world. That it wasn't just like Twilight scene for scene with fucking it was like here's edward and bella and neither of them are vampires they are in a band together here's edward and bella and they're at college here's edward and he's a vampire but he is a vampire who like what if he kept eating humans and it was this whole (laughs) what if what if what if yeah just constant what if and that really drew me in so you found one thing that you really liked and probably had a hard time parsing at that point what it is you liked about it. And so you start seeking alternate avenues of like, is it the vampires? Is it the love story? You're trying to like narrow in and you're finding different places you can get this. So now we're talking about fan fiction and there's a lot of Twilight fan fiction. And what you're talking about then is alternate universe fan fiction, which is where you take established characters from any sort of media or in the case of McFly, like real people, and start putting them in situations that the writer wants to imagine and obviously readers want to imagine because readers are really enjoying this. But as somebody who never got into fan fiction personally, probably because I was exposed to romance at such a young age that like I just, in my opinion, went right to the source of the thing I really wanted. Yeah. um, What's the appeal of alternate universe fan fiction? Because when you described the premise of one to me, so hold on, let me read this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is called The Greatest Gift. It's an alternate <laughs> universe fic where the Cullens are all humans and Edward and Bella are adults and are married, but Edward is a shitty husband. He, this is, by the way, I think this is your summary. Yeah, yes, it is. He, he doesn't cheat, but he takes Bella for granted. And one day on the way home from a business trip, he's on a plane that is about to crash. And and is visited by a guardian angel who is essentially like, you're going to die and you're a shitty guy and a shitty husband. And I'm only saving you so you can make your wife happy before you die. And so it's a marriage in trouble narrative that's just him groveling to Bella and his family. And I love it. And it has an HEA. He doesn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And when you told me about this, I was like, okay, I mean, like, I get this story, but, like, (laughs) why, what does this have to do with Twilight? Because none of the character traits from Twilight are present in these characters. Literally, you just take their names (laughs) and repeat the names, the full name, over and over and over again. (laughs) So this fic would have been what, in fandom, we would call OOC, which is out of character. Okay. So there are purists who are like, you can create an alternate universe version of this character, but they need to have 
all of the traits that Edward has, all of the traits that Bella has, they need to behave the same way Edward and Bella would behave. Mm -hmm. The story is whatever you make it, but Edward is still tortured Mm -hmm. and self-loathing. Bella is, I don't know whatever Bella is, which is like... What is Bella? That's probably... Nothing. A... I mean, yeah. Maybe that's um, a good question. Who and what is Bella and... Bella is... A blank canvas. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Bella. Okay, the crux of this is that people are just creating romance. They're writing romance novels because some of them are just Edward and Bella's names. And they're just using this avenue, these characters that we already know and love, putting them in a different iteration, writing romance novels with them. And, and, and maybe think, starting with an existing audience, like people who are like, oh, yeah. I'm into this fandom. Yeah. There's like a built-in audience to then read your romance novels, essentially. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is, I think. But I think a lot of people who write fan fiction, who were writing fan fiction, Twilight fan fiction at the time, I don't know that they would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm writing a romance novel. I don't know that they would have ever considered that they could just write their original fiction I didn't, not for a, a very long time. I still read fan fiction now, but the bulk of it isn't like from books. It's TV shows or mm-hmm. movies. But truly for years, even having read romance novels, Twilight is a romance novel. Mm-hmm. So many of the YA paranormals are romance novels. So you did not recognize it as like, these people are writing romance novels and you no. didn't and you didn't think that the authors themselves would have conceptualized it like that even if they were aware of and had read romance novels themselves yeah. i don't so, think a lot of them would now there are plenty like christina lauren they mm-hmm. were twilight fan fiction writers and i know a lot of people from the twilight fandom a lot of writers who wrote fan fiction did eventually mm-hmm. branch out using their most popular twilight fan fictions as their first published novel so I know that but I know that when I was actively participating in fandom when I was like actively on tumblr (laughs) Mm -hmm. talking to people and even when we were like on fanfiction.net because you can filter not all Mm -hmm. fanfiction is romantic I I don't read any fanfiction that isn't romantic is the thing I never have I've never been interested in that so when I'm filtering on these sites at even 15 years old to specifically put romance in the filter in my head I'm still not like I'm reading romance fiction Mm -hmm. and I think that's the case for a lot of people who were writing fan fiction but weren't reading what they knew was a romance novel Mm -hmm. outside of it so this brings me to a tweet that went out on January 2nd that I think encapsulates what we were talking about. And you and I were talking about this, and we have talked about this prior to like 2021, but I feel like this encapsulates high level what we're talking about and where we're going. Uh-huh. This tweet is by Jesse, aka Hawkeye, at Zahili, and... They said, so all the time I was watching Bridgerton, I kept thinking about how it executed my favorite fan fiction trope so well in a way I haven't really seen before, in a way I wanted more of. Should I just be reading romance novels? (laughs) Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) And then they said, this might sound dumb, but I've literally never considered reading a romance novel ever in my life, but I'll gladly read a multi-chapter, 80,000 word, slow burn, fake dating fanfic. Have I been discounting an entire genre I actually like because how it's culturally perceived? Yes. Yes. Same. 2015, I'm on Tumblr. I followed organically Savannah J. Frierson on Tumblr 
But I read some of her Glee fan fiction, and on her Tumblr, she would sometimes promote author stuff. And I hadn't really paid attention to it. But one day she retweeted Rebecca Weatherspoon, which was so sweet. And I saw that cover, and I don't know, something just came over me that day. I was like, oh, I'm going to click on this Amazon link. And I went and I bought it, and I was like, wait. <laughs> All wait. this time, I have been filtering yeah. on fanfiction sites. <laughs> yeah, and they look like me. Because so much of my, sort of my career in fandom is shipping things that sometimes there were like two white people. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that that's because there was no content that anyone ever created where I couldn't ship people of color. But I think in terms of like the things that I was interested in at the time, which are granted like the things I was interested in, they don't exist in a bubble. They're filtered to me through this white supremacist. Right. Like what media exists and is created that then the fan fiction is being based off of like that media is being curated through a white supremacist lens and so then it's building on top of that right i mean slash Uh, everything that we do is building on top of a a white supremacist foundation yeah there were obviously fandoms where that wasn't the case some of the ones that i was most interested in but then i i dug and i was like wait there are so many romances with like black people Mm -hmm. and that was like this is what i wanted because Mm -hmm. so much of fandom was me thinking about how no one is going to read me creating this original character who is a black woman or nobody's going to read if I want to like in Sleepy Hollow for instance I had this idea of creating an original character who was a black man to ship with Abby and I was like nobody's going to read this it didn't cross my mind to like (laughs) I can just write a book with (laughs) you know what I mean like I and it, it didn't for like such a, it didn't seem like it was in the realm of possibilities that I could be an author, even though it was something that I had dreamed of as a young teenager. But it sounds, what you're describing is, I think, a situation that like, we all go through in various ways of what do you have access to? And like, how do you jump from one thing to another? And the consideration set for what you can do or what options you have is limited to what you've had access to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I think that's also, that's why we need more like, we need need more black fantasies for the fan fiction writers, for the black fan fiction writers who don't just want to constantly like write and read about (laughs) two white people. I mean, like, you know, hashtag diverse, which that's a whole nother don't we can only open so many cans of worms (laughs) in this conversation yeah and a part of me feels a lot of guilt about I think how white my experience in fandom was because of my certain interests to say like being 19 and being interested in like Teen Wolf and Tyler Posey is the only person who's not white on that show up to a certain point and up to a certain point I wasn't always like super cognizant I was about maybe 20 21 when I finally started like actively engaging in social justice learning more like making an active choice to learn about things like representation and body positivity and it's up until that point like every character I dreamed up was they weren't necessarily white but they were thin and I'm mm-hmm. not thin I've never been thin I don't know that it even crossed I saw like Mercedes Jones on Glee and I read and saw people creating like fan fiction of her and realized that maybe there was an audience for like 
people, you know, there'd be a fat girl who could just like. Who isn't a sad sidekick. Yeah. Even though in the fandom world, like people treated her a lot better than Ryan Murphy's bitch ass treated her on the show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. So many cans of worms to open. And actually the tweet that I read was quote tweeting this other tweet by it's it's tweets all the way down by Ella Dawson, who's at bros and pros. And they said, by comparing Bridgerton to Jane Austen or Gossip Girl, you're ignoring the fact that genre romance is a separate entity with its own tropes and conventions of plot, pacing, and character development. Bridgerton nails that lush, sensory, and tense vibe of romance novels. And I'm thinking about the way Bridgerton is being described and the way every sort of cultural touchpoint is described. It's described in relation to the other things people have access to. And it's not always really comparable it's more just like, yeah. this is the closest approximation I have to find a word to describe what's happening here. And I, I think that we see this sort of like macro level with people being really interested in romance and reading books or watching a bunch of TV shows that have just a smidge of romance. And you're like, oh, I love that romance yeah. and I want more. And yeah. in, instead of going and finding something that's high test romance, going to fan fiction and being like, okay, well, I have to start with these characters because... This is the romance that inspired me. And so now I'm just going to amp that up. Sort of like being able to jump to, oh, what I'm actually looking for. It's not maybe that I'm like so interested in these particular characters or this particular scenario. I really just want the romance. But I had to start with what was available for me. And and I think that what you are articulating too is this is why representation matters. Because if we don't have models that exist, it's hard to imagine it's sad it's sad but but i think it's also there's just like a practical issue with the human limits of imagination yeah yeah like it's like a collage in our minds where we're kind of working with the pieces that are in there and if the piece isn't in there we can't work it into the collage yes you're reminding me of this one fan fiction this one twilight fan fiction where someone dared to write bella as a biracial black woman Mm-hmm. And Edward not was canon, like, not canon. And Edward was it was all human. Edward was like a firefighter or something like that. I remember it blowing my fucking mind. But then I remember looking in the comments and like seeing the comments of it and just like getting really shaken up about it. I think even if I didn't fully understand the why, and I think that. Seeing people react so intensely. This is just like a little piece of fiction. I'm imagining that Bella has a black mom. For most fan fiction readers in that universe, as long as they were white, everything else was up in the air. But it was a bridge too far to imagine a different race. But I I love that example of like how some people were like, wait a second, this doesn't, everything else is different, but this doesn't match what I'm looking for. But you were like, what? Whoa, like you're, you perked up. Oh my God, what? This is possible? Yes. And there were plenty of fics where Bella was like hashtag curvy. (sighs) There seemed to be every iteration of a person of like a trait, but not that. Mm -hmm. They were always white and that was the only one that I can ever remember ever of someone daring to be like okay we're gonna imagine this but let's change the race and it was like people were like this is unacceptable Mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of the fic I don't remember if it was taken down 
I just remember just being like, holy shit. <laughs> but also fully knowing that I wasn't ever going to be able to, I was like, I'm not that bold. I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm 15. I'm not that bold. I wasn't ever going to be able to do that. I wasn't ever going to be able to imagine Edward and Bella as black people or people of color. Mm-hmm. Even if I'd read plenty of fics where it was like Edward wasn't even a thing because it was like, I, I mean, I was like a huge proponent of Bella and Rosalie for a while. I just thought that was like. Rosalie had such like an intense hatred for Bella for the longest time until Bella produced a baby. Yeah. Which, I know. wow. Ben wanted to steal. A half vampire child. Yeah. There is a corollary there that I am not getting into. Oh, the pro-life. Oh, oh, I was actually getting into interracial marriage and oh, and, oh, oh, oh. and biracial children. Oh, holy shit! Yeah. Oh my god, because that's eight thousand cans of work. But that's a harmful narrative. You have to call that for what it is. That's yeah. a harmful narrative. That like, oh, but if you procreate together, that heals all the hatred that I have in my heart towards your kind. Didn't you know there's no more racism because a white person and a black person rubbed their genitals together. And that meant that we had world peace. That meant that, that meant that like institutional racism, it's done. It's over. It's done. Benito. It's done. I think what we're building to here, and, and I think I'm really glad that we also got into that, the sort of representation piece, because I think that this is a concern I have about Bridgerton in the conversation about like Bridgerton supposedly opening the door for all of these other romance adaptations is, let me start here. There's a lot of things to talk about with Bridgerton. It is indisputable that it has a huge viewership right now. So I think the last thing I saw was in the first month, it had 63 million viewers on Netflix. It has a huge platform, right? So a lot of people have Netflix and have access to it. It's it's and not everybody's like, at home. Everybody's at home. It obviously had a lot of promotional push behind it. Yeah. Um in the romance world, there are a lot of people who because Julia Quinn's Bridgerton series has been out for 20 years, it was a popular series. A lot of people have read it. There's been plenty of time to read the books. I didn't know it was 20 years old. Yeah. Okay, look. Bridgerton had a huge platform. It yeah. was created To be popular. And it was. And I think that there's an element of this where there's an underestimation of like how much power the media has to control what is popular. There is an immense amount of control there. So like 63 million people watched it. Did 63 million people like it? That's a different question. And I'm not even implying that the majority of people didn't like it or find it highly watchable. But those are different questions. It, yes. it, it didn't become popular because like word of mouth was just so amazing. It, it was, was a concerted, concentrated push. Exactly. To make it popular. They spent millions, I'm sure, marketing this show because mm-hmm. they want to make money off of it, obviously. But yeah, they want it to be popular. They wanted people to talk about it. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I don't know whether or not people are... I don't know whether or not they're like, this is the best shit I've ever seen. Where they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, it was something. I just watched it. You know what I mean? I think you can. I watched it. It was free. I watched it. I already paid it for was Netflix. On TV. Exactly. I think you can't discredit that because I think how much shit do I've just, I watched it there. And there's a lot of stuff on Netflix, obviously, that doesn't get that push that you could say the same thing. Like, sure, I've watched it. And like, look, I've watched all sorts of random stuff on Netflix. Yeah. The power of what is up on that home screen for people. Yeah. 
come on. And especially when you've then been seeing articles and you've been seeing conversation, you've, you've been seeing magazines, like it, this right. is a, a media yeah. machine, right? This yeah. isn't an accident. I think so much of the marketing was like hashtag diverse. Yes. And that, and I think that a lot of people got excited about it that maybe wouldn't have been excited about it before, or maybe people who were like, I'm going to watch this because it's hashtag diverse. Mm -hmm. And I can <laughs> pat myself on the back for yes, I can consuming diverse I media. This hashtag diverse show. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a black man in it and he's the main character. Yeah. yeah. And the can of worms that we're not going to get into is that when some groups of people are represented so infrequently, what choices you make when you represent those people matter more because there are fewer touch points to build a bigger story of people. Yeah. And so particularly things that play into harmful cultural stereotypes, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> right. We are not talking about that. But... That's another episode. Like eight Maybe. other episodes. <laughs> so really, but what, what we're talking about is like, of those 63 million people who watched that in the first month, probably a lot of them are not romance readers. Probably a lot of them are people who have cliched, stereotypical understandings of romance. They understand romance as what the media romance is. And this is a concept Jayashree Kamblay has written about before and I've mentioned before, which is basically like the media romance is like Fabio, bodice rippers. Yeah. It, it is an idea of romance that isn't actually the reality of romance. And so these people are encountering Bridgerton and the people who like it are like, oh, that was fun. I want more of this. Yeah. And they're like, what is it that I want more of? Their cultural touch point is not that what they want more of is romance. Romance. Yeah. And so I think that all the articles that are like, people obviously love romance. We should adapt more romance novels. I don't think that's actually the takeaway most people have. As yeah, I don't think so either. I think a lot of them are going to go start watching like Jane Austen adaptations. They're going to mm -hmm. start watching historical. They're going to start watching like British history. They're, like yeah. they're probably going to go to like Downton Abbey and shit like that and maybe not understand it. Yeah, because I think you're right. I think they're not going to what it was that like truly made them happy about whatever that was the romantic arc. But do they know that? Because the majority of people are also not reading the articles that are like, yeah, people, the romance readers are. We're like, yay, more adaptations. We're in a bubble, though. We're in a bubble. Yeah, we have to be aware of our bubble. So my question was this. It's like a much bigger question than we're going to get to in this conversation. Because I think part of my question is when you adapt a romance novel from a book to the screen, the people who see the screen version, are they then like, oh, let me go look at the book? Or are the majority of them now like, I liked this thing on screen. I want to see more of this on screen. But what is it that they take away that they enjoyed about that? Is it the lush scenery or is yeah. it the romance? And I think, okay, look, there's some evidence that some people, similar to your journey through Twilight, are like, but you actually came in through the books. So that I think that's where this yeah. diverges a little bit. I will say, I recently watched Normal People. Okay. I, actually, early in quarantine. I watched like no TV, so I, I barely know what TV shows are. It's a show based on a book that is about these two Irish teenagers and their tumultuous 
love story. Okay, I do know what you're talking about now. Yes. Yeah. I fucking loved it. I watched the show and I fucking loved it. I loved it, but I'm not going to classify it as like a romance. And then I went and I was like, I want to read the book. But I don't know if that's different because I am a romance reader, because I am a reader, because I am a writer who was very interested in seeing how she played these emotions out on page. When they hit me so hard in the show, Mm -hmm. I was like, I want this sadness to hit me even harder in the book. But I think, I I don't know. I, I think that's a good question. I wonder if you can, if there are like charts that show like sales bumps. And so then think about the coordinated media message. So they rebranded the Bridgerton books with the cover. What the fuck? Yeah. The cover has the people from the adaptation, which there's a, there's a, the cover. There is, there are no black people in these books. I'm like, how did you, how did they think, this is like, what was that thing that like Barnes and Noble or whoever did? Oh yeah, they took like classic literature and then they were like, but what if the wizard was black? (laughs) They're like, oh, Asian, whatever. It's like, there's no Asian uh, woman in this book. I don't know. You can't just like change the cover. It does not actually change the story and like, and it actually, and this is the can of worms I don't want to get into, when you change the race, it starts adding another layer of cultural complexity to the character choices. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And if, I don't know, I didn't watch the show, and I, nor did I read the books, but what I'm guessing from the, the, the critiques from the show is that they did not add any nuance to the show, or much, I guess. I mean, nuance. I'll leave the assessment of that to another conversation, but I think that... Definitely what's going to happen is people are going to walk into their bookstore and they're like, oh, I just saw this on TV. I liked it. Maybe I'll pick up this book. That's what they're hoping will happen. Yeah. I think there's a lot of questions about, is this a questionable decision given the choices on the show, given the actual text it was built from? Is there something deceptive about putting the characters from the TV show on the cover of this book? A question for another time. Right. Thanks for listening to episode 77 of Shelf Love. And thank you to Jody for joining me. A transcript and show notes for this episode can be found on shelflovepodcast.com. You don't want to miss all the questions and answers I saved for another day. In part two, how will Romance Landia handle the romance curious? How do adaptation viewers make the leap to the pages of romance? Does Bridgerton actually open doors for other romance adaptations? Or are our genre definitions arbitrary to outsiders who would define a Regency romance as a completely different type of TV show than a rom-com? Thank you for joining me today. If you have any thoughts on the show, I would love for you to reach out to me. You can send an email to andrea at shelflovepodcast.com. And don't forget to join the Shelf Love email newsletter. The easiest way to do that is either to visit shelflovepodcast.com and there are newsletter signup forms on the page, or there is a link in the show notes of this episode. Shelf Love is produced by me, Andrea Martucci. Thank you to Shelf Love's editorial advisory board members, Katrina Jackson and Tasha L. Harrison. That's all for this week. Black Lives Matter. Stay safe, stay mad, and keep reading romance. And the can of worms that we're not going to get into... Oh my god, because that's 8,000 cans of worms. And actually, and this is the can of worms I don't want to get into. Yeah. So many cans of worms to open. 
we can only open so many cans of worms in this conversation yeah no he smells her blood and he's like 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 he's gonna bust yeah (laughs) (laughs) i hate you but yes 